Hey everybody, I'm Micah Rich. And I'm Olivia Kane. And welcome to the Weekly Typographic. A podcast where we discuss our favorite type and design news from the week. Hey everyone, I'm Olivia from the League of Movable Type. And I am Micah from the League of Movable Type as well. Fantastic. I'm Kyle. I'm from Proof & Co. And I'm Joshua from Proof & Co. Awesome. It's a crossover episode. <laughs> that was an excellent introduction. This is great. <laughs> Very excited to be here. Absolutely. Micah, Olivia, it's wonderful to see you. This was just a random cool idea. We're big fans of your podcast. We heard a rumor you were fans of our podcast, or at least had heard of it. Yes, the rumors are true. And we figured how fun. You all know about fonts. We know about fonts. Let's like do a fun little crossover like on our favorite TV shows. Let's know about fonts together. Can't wait. (laughs) Yeah. So we're going to kind of stick with the regular format that we do on ours, which is like sharing a bunch of cool links. You guys brought some links. We brought some links. We're going to talk about all of them and just share our fun opinions about it. And then we're going to do like a fun little debate discussion nerd alert. Fantastic. What's the plan for the nerd alert, Olivia? The Nerd Alert plan is going to be kind of a combo of our Nerd Alert and the discussions that happen over at Proof & Co. Because we wanted to have like an ultimate hybrid here. So we're going to be talking a little bit about unconventional ways indie foundries are growing their type business. Whether that's pay-as-you-grow formats that we're seeing for selling models or anything in that gray area. We're going to talk about how that's beneficial for foundries, how that's getting utilized, and what it says about the future of the industry. So I'm personally very excited to have Kyle and Joshua here because they have all this amazing knowledge from the indie world. Like, I don't think I know anyone that is as familiar. I read their newsletter every week, the Proof & Co newsletter, (laughs) go subscribe. And just amazed by all the foundries they're keeping track of and all the data they're kind of collecting as they're doing. So I think that's going to be a real fun time. Absolutely agree. Yeah, we are so stoked to be here. Proof & Co. has been an organic process of getting going, but it's always been with the goal of just coming together, celebrating type, talking type. And that is exactly what you guys do too. So stoked that we can just get together for an episode here. And we wanted to thank you from us. The entire gang podcast has always just been the two of us, maybe a third person. But as we all know, two (laughs) is an entire couple Three is an entire <laughs> crowd, but finally four is an entire gang. So thank you for we finally helping did us it. fulfill the promise of our namesake. I feel oh. badass now that I'm in a gang. That's it. You're in a gang now. That's all we wanted. Oh <laughs> we need a cool gang sign, I feel. Oh, some, man. Some kind of ampersand with our fingers. Ooh. There we go. Well, I guess I can kick things off, bringing a couple of links. And on our show, we usually do a couple of type releases that were released that week. So I have one, Josh has one, and we'd love to kind of bring him to the table and chat about him with you guys and see what you think about him. Heck yeah. So the first typeface that I'm bringing to the table is uh, NAN Tresor. This is a typeface that was released by NAN Foundry, and it is uh, quoted as an anachronous revival where every glyph variation somehow flourishes in one font. It is inspired by true historical Gothic grotesques Although no one specific specimen, Tresor delivers what may be the most historically reminiscent family of types we've seen this year. And I stand by that statement. It is a fun grotesque that gets weirder and weirder by the number of styles that are included. So you can be 
really tame on one side. There's, I guess, an S, an M, and an L, I assume, standing for small, medium, and large. And by the time you get to large, you have the option of crazy snail tail flourishes and very strange variations on the letter forms. Uh, There's a, a lowercase t in there that just is so strange. It can get as wacky as you want it to be. And I think that's the fun part about this release. I don't know if you guys had any thoughts about Tresor itself, but I personally really enjoy the fact that it is historic, yet kind of takes it to the next level in a contemporary alternates and stylistic sets. I don't think I realized the SML designation. I was looking at this site and I had seen it before you sent it over too. So this isn't my first time seeing it. And I was just like, I can't tell if this font is crazy or totally usable. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good sign, I think, right? (laughs) Right, right. But I feel like that actually fits with a lot of what they do over there. Some combination of crazy and usable, where even like on the actual website, like you can test out the fonts as many websites for fonts you can, right? And it's like totally normal stuff. And then there's a random little cat that meows when you click it (laughs) for no reason. (laughs) It's just like, hey, we wanted this here. So that's why it's here. And I feel like that's kind of the energy that they brought to the font a little bit. I'd say you're spot on with that one. Yeah, <laughs> I know Kyle mentioned like true historic grotesque fashion at some point, which it certainly is. But this yeah. is like true historic NAN fashion to me. I'm like, OK, <laughs> yes. here we go. Here's another one. It always astounds me that all the type that we've talked about that they've put out the NAN Foundry, or as we often say on the weekly typographic, NAN. But yes, again, NAN Foundry, <laughs> NAN Foundry. Who knows? I'm always so surprised that they, first of all, usually kind of start with some historical skeleton that is like established in typographic history. And the way they're just able to riff on that in these really imaginative ways that feel also like they're coming from one single-minded person in one style, but still Mm -hmm. doesn't feel like repeats of each other. It always blows my mind where it's like, oh, another NAN typeface. Obviously, I love it. How did they think of that? How is this even working? How is this a very readable font? That's also like it works. blowing my mind. They have small text on there. And for a typeface that is saying we're kind of just like the funky uncle of grotesques, I'm just surprised at how readable it is too. And that's very exciting. Yeah. Yeah. The swashes are the real winner here. It feels like every letter was just reaching a little bit further, going for the goal. Everything is just a little pulled out, tried a little further than ever before. And that's very much in the NAN NAN style. Yeah, Olivia, you mentioned a word that I actually haven't made an association with before in type, and that's riffing. It's kind of like jazz, this typeface. It's like you have the music on the page and it's played the way it is in that S style. But by the time you get to L, yeah, it does feel like jazz riffing things are extended above the the x height line or ascenders get wacky and it is a, a bit of an improvisation on a theme and that is not seen very much in type releases these days so that was really cool a great word riffing love it thanks thanks yeah, just nailed it. immediate thoughts guys i have a thought that it's taken much much reading as we're sitting here to discover this s m and l are sizes yeah. Yeah. That did not land with yes. me. I did not get that <laughs> when I was first looking. <laughs> There's a PDF sample, which in itself is very entertaining because they take like a beautiful 
type specimen and they're just kind of drawing it with Microsoft Paint. Yep. Why not? <laughs> the craziness that comes is because it's supposed to be set larger and so you can see some of the craziness better. Mm-hmm. That seems yes. less crazy. I mean, it's still crazy, but like less crazy. Yeah, they're technically optical sizes, right? Yeah, but it it doesn't always play out that way. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. Cool. Yeah, I thought that was a really good one from this last week. I know, Josh, you have another one that was also equally, if not more, crazy. Yeah, let's stay on the crazy train, shall we? <laughs> let's go. The new font release that I want to talk about, Choo Choo, is Rascal Wonner Wright from Swiss Typefaces. And I will attempt to describe it, but the fact is it is very difficult to put into a category, and that's what I do love about it. And there's plenty of backstory to Rascal Wonner on their website, which I recommend everyone check out. It covers 20 years from concept to creation. And on top of that, the journey they describe explains a lot about the destination, specifically that Rascal Wonner was born out of the question, can I design a monospaced script font, which I love so much. Yes. (laughs) That's just so crazy. A little mashup. And the final product is far from monospaced, but the influence is ever-present. Now, how to actually describe Rascal Wonder? It is script, but only kinda. Uh, letters only sometimes connect to the next letter and sometimes even connect to letters above or below them, which is neat. <laughs> there is often a sharp blockiness that you, of course, don't associate with a script font, but again, not always. And... At times, there are ridiculous, inconceivable contextual ligatures, connection points between letters that you've never dreamed of, and if you have, you're lying. These contextual alternates are the key here. Every word is a brand new adventure. This is definitely a typeface that just says, screw your rules, I'm walking here. Yes, why make rules if you're not going to break them? Lines (laughs) Lines <laughs> are shooting out at all angles. Sometimes they loop back, sometimes they don't. What do you care? I do what I want. It's almost like if a font were a teenager. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. And it just wants to tell you that it's never liked you and then slam the door in your face. But <laughs> It's like a teenager from 2077. Yes. <laughs> it's like a cyberpunk teenager. Yeah. <laughs> it's a cyborg teenager. Right. Perfect. So... But still, like to say it's messy or chaotic isn't fair. It, it definitely qualifies as, as sharp and clean, and it's not busy, though there is a lot going on. I think there's a, an obvious attempt to be unique, but it's not terribly pretentious to that. And it is part of their lab collection, designs that they describe as radical and experimental. So there is a recognition of an attempt at something new and bold here. It feels to me like there are plenty of uses for this crazy, crazy font. I'm not quite sure what they could be, but as far as experiments go, because yeah, I I can't see it. I would love to hear your thoughts on this because what could they be? But it's, it feels like there's a place. There's a place for us. This is as exciting as a Frankenstein's monster could possibly be. So I can't wait to hear what you guys think of our good friend, Rascal Wonner. The background history, as difficult as it is to read, because it's just a lot. It's just so much there. It's a lot. Lots of info. But once you start seeing some of the inspiration, it is such a interesting and, and like well-done combination 
of historical calligraphy with crazy graffiti and just that's what i thought was the coolest part was the, the listing of like a reference to graffiti yeah oftentimes i think a lot of type designers get into type and making letters lettering in the first place through graffiti so but we never see an attempt to bring it into the typographic realm just because that would be crazy this makes a full commit send to that idea <laughs> i've seen plenty of like graffiti fonts that are trying to mimic sure. the lettering of graffiti but this is this is just taking like the the movement and embellishment the essence of graffiti, of graffiti but a yeah, right? Mm -hmm. Like, it's the essence, and applying it to the essence of calligraphy to make this whole new thing that doesn't fit anywhere. Yeah. I don't have fully formed thoughts about this. It's like, what is this crunchy, mechanical, cursive? You're feeling all the feels. <laughs> it, it's like, it's so impossible to describe, and like, angsty teenager from year 2077 is so perfect. <laughs> but... As someone that practices calligraphy and kind of knows what those forms are based off of, I don't think I would ever initially uh, vouch for a font that was first designed mechanically on a computer, even though yeah. it says to be based in the script historical context. Except this is just like a perfect marriage of those, you know, mechanical aspects that you understand when you're working with type on a computer. And the flowingness of cursive script. For example, sometimes I just have to talk about one letter to be able to articulate some feelings. Zero in, right. Oh, yeah. The capital letter K. So if you look at that capital <laughs> letter K, I especially liked it because that's the first letter of my last name. The skeleton of that K is bonkers and actually not really recognizable as a K. If you look close, you could probably find like four other letters in there. You could probably find like a capital A, an S like maybe a loose P, but because of the contrast they're using within the letter forms, and again, it in context, it's like maybe one of the coolest Ks you've seen in a while. Yeah, it's all about context. That's right. Yeah, yeah. And then um, when you see the risks that they're taking with letter forms that are actually quite frequently used, in particularly that lowercase e, which is three horizontal lines on kind of a skewed <laughs> axis, I don't think I'd be able to vouch for that being part of a typeface, but mm -mm. seeing yeah. it in use, it makes so much sense. And just, it's rare for you to be like reignited about thinking about letter forms and skeletons in a different way. That is really exciting. That was something that this typeface definitely made me do with all of its wackiness and weird experimental nature. I love that. Yeah. I wish I could think of places to use it in, but <laughs> I am a little stumped. Well, I encourage you to put two lowercase e's next to each other. The symmetry mm. and the way that they connect mm -hmm. is so calligraphic, and yet the e is so anti-calligraphic. It blows your mind that those two <laughs> things sit next to each other. Yeah, yeah. It really just well, show you the context have, is, is everything. I'm planning to have my headstone set in Rascal Wonder, so that's at least <laughs> one use. Oh my gosh! Please for it. <laughs> People will think you were that teenager from 2077. <laughs> <laughs> I will say, too, there are some in this very long behind-the-scenes thing, there's some indication of those contextual alternates in code. Mm -hmm. And if you have never made contextual mm -hmm. alternates as a type designer, it is primitive and painful and tedious. And so the amount that, that must have been included in here 
yeah. sounds disgusting. Horrible. That's where the work went. Remarkable. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks for indulging us on these. We tried to bring something from the crazy train to you guys today and just love, love your thoughts. This is great. It's good. Yeah. You guys are nuts. Yeah, yeah. this is amazing. <laughs> Thank I don't think you. I would have found. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, we would have found, especially this one on our own. I'm just, I want to see what else, what else Swiss typeface labs are cooking up these days. Yeah. Yes. Definitely excited. So flipping over to the weekly typographic links that we have for you this week, I think something that we were thinking about as we like created this hybrid episode is the Intero gang folks are so great at kind of deep diving into the newest typeface releases. And we try to bring a little bit more of the cultural and industry news to the table. So that's what we got today. And our latest, we were debating the pronunciation of this earlier today, but I think we settled <laughs> on talking about the latest Ferragamo brand identity. Well done. Thank yes. you. Yes, yes, yes. Not Ferragamo, which I think comes from like Geronimo. <laughs> I don't know. Sure. I would <laughs> still say that's great, even if you know, that's what it was. <laughs> Ferragamo. So the latest news is that British graphic designer Peter Seville has created an updated brand identity and typeface for the Italian fashion house. Ferragamo, also known as Salvatore Ferragamo. You'll find in this article, they talk a little bit about the trend in the fashion world to actually be dropping text from names. Yves Saint Laurent is now Saint Laurent. Celine dropped the accent off their name, which is funny, which I'm sure is from a marketing perspective, but also from a typographic perspective, an interesting move. The new typeface, if you're familiar with Ferragamo's logo before, it was kind of this like really beautiful, loose, a script that said Salvatore Ferragamo. It was very long. Now they have moved to a typeface that is very restrained, but incredibly elegant, inspired by the classical stone inscriptions from Renaissance artists and feels, oh my God, so Italian. (laughs) So Um, Italian. So Italian. All caps in black on a red background, really like beautifully spaced Roman capitals, basically, the proportions of the letter forms definitely follow those of Roman capitals. So it it kind of is imbued with this historical nature, but definitely a little bit different. And I think it's something that we've talked about. Um, A lot of brands are being criticized in the fashion industry for getting rid of heritage logos and going to a really restrained, neutral, all capitals. Often they're going to sans serifs. Mike and I actually talked a little bit about this when we found the article that I was wondering, yeah, did this maybe lose personality or maybe it's not about losing personality, but instead getting a different personality because there's Mm -hmm. definitely a lot of merit in this logo, we think. Oh, that's absolutely true. That's a great way to frame it as well. It's it's not losing personality so much as that it's, it's kind of swapping out for a different one or evolving what their DNA has always been and the expression of that. The key thing for me on this Ferragamo uh, redesign was the fact that they didn't go as neutral as they could have. I think that they stopped just shy of that level. And thank God, because it's, it's just enough to be unique on its own. The little tiny chiseled serifs there on the ends, the kind of retro bulkiness or boldness of the font itself. It does say something strong and contemporary about the brand, yet it has a nod to history. And I, I think they, they really nailed it on that. It could have gone way worse. <laughs> I think it's interesting, too. I I was looking on their site, and it's somewhere I found, 
an actual old chisel like stone piece in a building with their name on it that oh, nice. was the reference i think for this probably yeah they didn't go full sans which is kind of the way a lot of rebrands have been headed like kyle said there's just the little hint of accent hint of history and they talk about in the article wanting to kind of combine that history with what's new which seems to me like that's exactly right and you don't get that maybe necessarily from your script brand logo which isn't particularly unique at least anymore we see that plenty even if they are now all moving towards a sans rebrand yeah amazing yeah it's a good point yeah so definitely check that out just some deliciously crafted type and i'm really satisfied just by looking through ferragamo's instagram and their website seeing it in a different context you can see the logo embedded in like some really luxurious suede and a tag that's what we're here for yeah that really <laughs> makes it come to life for me in a world where like we're not seeing type in physical spaces as much as we used to we're mostly you know experiencing type digitally there's some incredible satisfaction so true i'm definitely looking forward to seeing this in use more you can kind of see like on their most recent fashion show what it looks like to have it entirely in this context of this new logo but if you actually look at their site it's still Hmm. kind of a bunch of crap so that's unfortunate (laughs) i'm looking forward to them rebranding everything with this i think it'll be great i like that we're moving away from the signature brand logos because they're too clean. No one's signature is actually that nice and legible. If you want to make it a, a, it's a little realistic contrived, you think? brand logo, it's just a squiggle. Just how we all sign our checks. <laughs> true. It's just that's a true. weird squiggle. And so it's just not, it doesn't, good point. it's lying to me. And that's what I don't like about it. Joshua, I'm ready for you to start the next fashion house. And I want the logo just to be a squiggle. That's it. That's all we're getting. Just a squiggle. It's called squiggle. <laughs> It's the Squiggle Fashion House. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I would be front row for that show. Absolutely. <laughs> we are cutting so edge. I actually just realized, I was just like clicking around their site, and they have a TikTok, which I find fascinating. There's seven videos on their TikTok, and the way that they're like presenting the models in the TikTok is very different than how they're presenting the models elsewhere. I think this is probably a thing that I've discovered maybe we need to make a separate a whole separate conversation about about marketing on TikTok with this kind of like luxury branding they're scared to do it it seems yeah i guess it's just the one one name ferragamo now can carry a, lo- a little bit more in different mediums different spaces different mm. social channels i know i just think it's interesting like the design on the website or like in the fashion show is this very high concept you know expensive luxury thing and then they know that they have to be on TikTok. And so they then go over to TikTok and it's very like low, low res and it doesn't match the rest of the brand. I'm, I'm, I don't know. I feel like that's, that's, I'm probably going on a tangent here, but I can't be perfect. I guess <laughs> the TikTok crowd does not care. I know. That's what I think is so interesting. Anyway, all right. <laughs> I'm going to move us right along. Yeah. Please. I'm going to move yeah, us yeah. right along to um, <laughs> something that I think we're all familiar with. And that is the Olympics. So the International Olympic Committee has 
unveiled their latest evolution of its visual identity. This includes colors, typography, logo system guidance, um, a whole new set of brand guidelines that are incredibly extensive. Custom fonts. Custom fonts, like the Olympics, they're recognizing that that's something that's really important. There's just like so many ways we can discuss this and, and look at the Olympics. My initial thought was, what was it before? Because I thought the Olympics just had its own brand <laughs> every time they do the Olympics. Oh, like, yeah. yeah. There's like designers that are like, I know the year Odal Eichere made the Olympics brand identity system. I know the year that so-and-so did this. Like, I remember what the Beijing Olympics looked like. People, I think, recognize the Olympics brand identity. And I think actually a lot more people besides graphic designers usually get to talk about it and participate in that discourse. So I was like, what was it before? Is this going to be evergreen? Like why? Lots of questions. I definitely am impressed with the execution. I think the way they've executed everything in a very particular, rational, ordered, oftentimes neutral way is very expressive of how the Olympics want themselves to be seen. They even say at the end of this little press release, they're hoping through this new brand that the idea of gender neutral visual language comes through within some of these icon systems. And it's a language neutral system, not necessarily based in like a Western tradition. Very interesting take obviously some well-crafted typography to talk about as well. So really excited to bring this to the table. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, this is really cool. I like what you said about the fact that you weren't sure what it was before. That's success in my eyes, because that means that what you're seeing now, you felt like is the way it should have always been. Stop me if I'm wrong, but I don't mean to put words in your mouth. But I think that that's a good thing for brands when you're like, oh, yeah, this is like the most natural feeling solution for them. Yeah. So I'd say this is a real win. It is a little neutral, but I appreciate their palettes that they're using. There's a color palette, sure, which is pretty obvious. It's the the five colors of the the five Olympic rings uh, plus white, and they make great use of it. But the typographic palette here is quite nice and sophisticated. You can get down to the analytical data side of things, numbers. They've done a good job of scripting for that. But then the editorial side, telling stories about anything from the Olympics. Um, You have a, a serif and sans team that can kind of come together in different ways. So the versatility there is is a huge plus. It's nice to see in the context of the whole brand of just general Olympics, not necessarily one specific games, but just generic Olympics. I do wonder, like you were saying, Olivia, about the evergreen, is this supposed to be timeless? Is this supposed to be what we're using moving forward? I do wonder if that's a precursor to feeling like there's less creativity in the brand of a specific Olympic Games, if it takes away from some of the city or country's culture that it might influence the designs, or if, I don't know if the idea is this would be a base and then we grow from there, or if this is meant to kind of be what is used. I just wonder if that's going to to mean we do have a, a few blander feeling Olympics. Hmm. I'm curious too. I don't know. H Games is still going to have its own identity, I think. This is really just like the International Olympic Committee, the IOC, as an organization, kind of how they go about business, right? Okay. So neutrality is good here, I guess, then. 
Yeah, I think their official statement because I've been like searching for this every t- every since I found it yeah. was that the this brand rollout is expected to be completed by the Paris 2024 Olympic Games, and the future editions of both the Olympic Games and Youth Olympic Games are set to feature the evolved brand identity. I think keyword maybe feature saying like this will be incorporated. I mean, like you think about all the nitty gritty systems they have to worry about for data and statistics. I mean, Mike and I were talking about this at some point. There's a lot of numbers and you need those numbers to be clear and concise and legible. I could see the more flashy aspects of the Olympics, like the logo, like maybe some basic signage having more of the flair of the city. For example, have you guys seen the 2028 LA logo? For the LA Olympics? Yes. I remember uh-huh. when that came out. It's like the opposite of this. They asked a bunch of designers from America, including Billie Eilish, <laughs> to help Fantastic. design one character of the logo. And so the logo is constantly iterating through several designs of the letter A, which to me, like, I'm not saying actually that's a good or a bad idea. That just feels like really different than this, but you could also see how this can be used in all the other ways the Olympics need to convey information besides just the logo. Yeah, I think that's exactly it. There will be a featured logo for every games, depending on that city and the culture at the time, and then everything else can be standardized. And that has to make the whole thing much simpler and easier. Yeah. Yeah. What I find really interesting, I don't know if you guys looked into the 130-page brand guidelines book. Pretty I only extensive. got through about 60 pages before. Oh, you slacker. Yeah. You're such a slacker. <laughs> uh, I read every word. <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. Thank you, Joshua. But so there's, there's like Olympic headline, which is like yeah. the big bold font designed by one person. And then Olympic Sans designed by somebody else. And then Olympic Serif designed by somebody else which I think is very interesting. They're all working together. They all seem fairly cohesive in the way that the whole brand comes together, but made by totally different people in totally different parts of the world. Whoa, I see that too now. Kind of nuts. I think that's kind of cool. Yeah, I'm sure that's by design too. That's amazing. Yeah, or it was just a nice accident and they were like, hey, people are going to think we did this on purpose. (laughs) They were just crossing their fingers, hoping it would all work out. And it turns out it did. Kind of nicely. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. I, 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 it's kind of like the Ferragamo project as well, where there, it's, it's about history and the future at the same time, kind of holding both in your hands at the same time. They have nods to classic Olympic branding in the past. You know, the Mexico Olympics, kind of the work done by Paul Rand on some of the Olympic identity. And uh, that's all there. And I think the type really brings it forward into the future. Mm. So. Um, the visuals may be uh, you know, representing the heritage, but the type is capable of, of a lot of moving things into the future. I thought that was kind of cool. All right. I think we're uh, ready for this next exciting portion, roundtable discussion. Going to bring us into the future right now <laughs> in this introduction. <laughs> oh, my God. It's terrible. Um, so I'm really excited about the four of us to kind of get to talk about a little bit of an evaluation of the state of the industry through unconventional pay-as-you-grow, typography, typeface selling models, how that fits into kind of the larger picture of open source or other unconventional ways of distributing 
typefaces and getting them into more hands and uh, rethinking and maybe dismantling some systems that have existed for a long time. So Joshua and Kyle, you came to us with this idea when we first kind of had our production meeting. And I want to know what inspired this question. You guys are really keeping tabs on a lot of the Indie Foundry kind of data getting put out there. What led you to be just pondering this? It's a good question. Josh, you want to take that? Yeah. Well, as any regular listener of Interrogang knows, we do enjoy a good Future Fonts release because it's on the <laughs> experimental side, because it's we get to see wacky stuff, new stuff, and you get to watch an evolution. And for me, I'm really only into type for the past four or five years of my life. I'm still kind of getting my footing. Seeing new things is quite exciting for me. And especially watching the progress go through is a very exciting thing for me with new fonts, which you don't always get if it's just a volume one release. Here you go, take it or leave it. But we also have been seeing foundries either choose the future fonts route where they're putting their stuff out mm -hmm. as a version 0.1 or create their own foundry labs. That is just the corner that they're setting aside for whatever they want to get out of their head and into the world. And that's really a cool thing, but it also does kind of change. It alters the economics a little bit because you are putting out for sale something that's by design underdone or unfinished. And so it's just something that we notice and don't have any real like hard and fast answers about why. And so we wanted you to have the answer of why. We wanted to hear what your <laughs> thoughts were on just this model that's just kind of, it has a, a new life out there in the font world. Yeah, we've noticed a real paradigm shift, especially in the last five to six years in type of you know, departing from the conventional economic model of spend a few years developing a really amazing type family for your foundry and then selling that family as a, as a product. The challenge to that has become it's it's a reaction to the speed at which things are produced or need to be produced and marketed now. Everything is faster. Instagram, TikTok, these are all main marketing channels now and it runs on relevance. You have to constantly be putting out output. That doesn't really jive when you have one big family release a year <laughs> and it's mostly done behind the scenes. So we felt as though this, this rise in the lab or the in-progress section on Indie Foundry sites was an answer to this need to be relevant, need to be more transparent into the process, and a need to have more out there more often. Have you guys seen something like that in type where there's a need for marketing and just constant talking about what you have going on, what's the most, what's the latest? What have, what have you guys seen in, in that space? That's such an interesting point that I, I didn't really think about it from that angle before. Yeah. Okay, I have to first get over my annoyance of, I'm, Great. I'm like an old man yelling on his lawn always. And, you know, I feel like that was one of the biggest complaints when we started the league forever ago of, well, these fonts aren't complete. So what the heck are you doing releasing mm -hmm. them? How dare you? 
And obviously our answer was, well, we'll complete them over time, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> They'll get and, there. and that Trust was, us, yeah. and that was right. That was like spat on, I feel like by a lot of professionals. So it's half annoying, but also the way it should have gone. I feel like that everybody's starting to get on board with this, though. I'll admit, I haven't seen as much of it as it sounds like you guys have. Like I'm very familiar with future fonts and I guess you brought up the font from earlier from Swiss Typefaces Lab, but I don't think I know yeah. that many other professional foundries that are like putting out unfinished work that often. But it sounds like there is more of it than there used to be in your research. It's a growing model. Yeah, we've seen a few foundries start to put out in-progress fonts in a future font style uh, just on their own websites through a lab or a, a something like that. Um, yeah, production type has a lab. Blaze type has a lab. There's a few popping up here and there. It's not certainly not everybody, and it's definitely not the norm in the on the foundry level yet. But it provides a channel for folks who are designing type and trying to get into the industry uh, to just put out more faster or at least gain access to the money behind fonts a little bit faster. You don't have to wait a whole year until the whole thing is done. I think that's the coolest part about this model. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think maybe partially besides the growth of instantaneous entertainment as the internet and our norm. Perfect. Yes. It's also become a lot more mainstream of like the conversation around how startups work. And I'm sure every foundry or potential type designer who wants to be a professional type designer and make money from type design is more familiar with the startup concepts of like MVP than probably 10 years ago where yeah there's so much there's so much open public conversation around like hey you know make a beta version and then see if you can get users behind it and and that's where the money will come from yes so it's interesting I have a couple of thoughts that immediately pop into my head. You know, I think like paradigm shift is a really accurate way to describe this new model. But then also the amount of people that are studying type design right now that are going to type design school is outrageous in a great way. <laughs> I didn't mean to be like an old woman yelling from her lawn. This is outrageous. <laughs> Obviously, it's a really positive thing. But I think with that quantity... Yes, I think people are seeing the value of type designers and foundries maybe even more than ever before because there's more indie foundries than ever before. But there's also, I think people really want to think about new ways where this could be fitting into their professional life and a way to make money. Yeah. And there was a time when if you wanted to be a type designer, you had to go like basically seek out an apprenticeship at a foundry or go like – Yeah, whole hog. Like really commit to it 100% with every bone in your body. And I just think that's not necessarily the case anymore. And people can be really fulfilled by doing type design on the side of their graphic design profession, on the side of all sorts of things. That is a spot on point. Yeah, yes. I'm just trying to like take in the conversations I've been having and even bring up this conversation all the time. But with Libby Bischoff from Type Dude Nord, I talked to her a couple mm -hmm. months ago. She was putting out type once a week. Like, obviously, those aren't going to be fully completed fonts. But I do think it speaks to a stigma that's being broken with, you know, organizations like Future Fonts that are saying, hey, we're not trying to give you every single little bit of perfectionism, which is inherent right. to the industry. We're giving yeah. you this as a functional piece 
that may or may not be finished, but is certainly bringing value to the design world for sure. It's so, more inclusive too. Yeah. It's making more space for more people to get in. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. And I can't wait to see what other labs are popping up or people that are adopting future fonts models or, you know, even the model DJR, the font of the month. It's it's a go. totally different way of thinking. Mm-hmm. And I think we're just going to see more of it. Actually, you're making a point that really goes directly into one of the things that Kyle was talking about, which is the culture on the internet is, from my perspective, changing from like, hey, I'm going to put out this thing that adds a little bit of value, I think is what it used to be. And I think now it's becoming a little bit more of like, I want to put this out, so I'm just gonna. And I don't care if it provides value or not. Yes. It's useful for me to put it out because I want to. And I feel like we're just at the very start of that new generation of thinking becoming the norm. And these kind of things are almost preempting that before that was definitely the way that people were starting to think. Gen Z. And when is a font done? You know, oh, these shoot. version numbers are there you go. decided by the designers anyway. So yep. who's to say Right. My version 0.1 isn't the ultimate, or my version 12.6 still needs a whole lot of work. That's a very good point. Yeah, this model is really helpful for both sides of the coin, type makers and type users. Type makers like it because they can get more, I guess, typefaces out faster and thus more potential revenue streams, more hooks in the water if you're going fishing. And type users like it because they get a wider variety of ideas and they don't have to wait forever for them. Mm -hmm. They can say, okay, there's all these ideas out here now, which is really cool. I'm going to vote with my dollar or vote with my attention on what deserves to move forward. I have some numbers here because there's also the economic side from the type buyer. If you're getting something that is being advertised as an experiment, we're still working on it. It will continue. Then it, it, it serves as an investment right? You're putting your money in for the early version so you can get later versions. Right. From independent releases that we've tracked from 2021, non-future font releases cost per style an average of $29.38 and future fonts releases per style cost an average of $23.55. That's about a 20% discount that also serves as, like I said, an investment. You're getting in early with the idea that you'll get more out of this over time for a lower value. Yeah, that's so cool. I want to question that. I mean, we all like use fonts, right? We all Mm -hmm. have typeset things. Is that how you feel? I don't think I feel that way. The value that I get out of future fonts and things like that, these weird labs experiments that are unfinished, is like nobody else is using that because it's not done and popular totally there's totally the the economic and the design which maybe don't overlap even that much if at all Mm. yeah (laughs) i do think there's the discussion of what am i paying for this which is fine but yes and i do think from just a seeing it and watching it grow and thinking about it design part of it it's great (laughs) (laughs) yeah How's that for analysis? I mean, well, some, <laughs> it's great. Yeah. That's, 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 some of it is 
kind of frustrating because I like it, but because it's in progress. Like I have one open right now that I just think is the coolest freaking looking font that I want to use on something and mm-hmm. hasn't been updated in two years, more than two years. And mm-hmm. I'm only allowed to use it on the desktop because they just haven't finished it. They don't want it on the web for whatever reason. And I'm like, man, I'm never going to get that on a website. Mm. Yeah. At that point, you just have to try to nudge them along, send them a message, be like, hey, this is actually really cool. I guess there is a burden to the designer using this model of you have to be responsive to the impact that it thus has. If you are putting an in-progress font out and it gets a good reception, perhaps consider moving it along for the folks who did invest early or give you the benefit of the doubt earlier on in, in its life. Yeah, you're trying to sell undercooked meat. So either you got to cook it or maybe it's not going to sell that well. Right. I mean, it's great because the font that I'm looking at is named Taters. <laughs> no, perfect. Amazing. <laughs> but isn't that also an interesting piece here, too, where it's making the type designer more accessible? Like the fact that sure. your reaction was like, oh, why don't you just like message them and see if you can get the right. latest version? You wouldn't do that with like a monotype situation, which is what all boundaries used to be. No, it breaks down a lot of walls. Yeah, that's cool. It's a good thing. Yeah, it's a real plus for this this in-progress model. I think more foundries should embrace it um, because, again, I think there's there's plus on both sides of the coin. I think there's pluses for the designers and there's pluses for the users. And the only negative that I can really see is that the font, I guess, wouldn't be very good and both sides are unhappy. (laughs) So if it's not (laughs) well-received, then you'll know pretty quick. Right, which is still good for the business side of the type designer, right? Yeah, and you save yourself from going down the road of spending a year designing it. Right, right. I think that time investment's huge. And I think that time is money, guys. (laughs) So I think like you can really see how (laughs) um, that is influencing the designer's choice of like what creative endeavors to be honestly spending their time on yeah exactly yeah good thought-provoking paradigm shift i'd say um hope to see more of it any last words before i wrap us up yeah smart things for like an hour (laughs) this is great we fixed it yeah we love talking about this kind of stuff and uh we we think about it a lot so if anybody wants to continue these conversations please just like hit us up we think about this stuff weird we love a good conversation Well, this is definitely happening again soon because I need to hear all of Joshua's metaphors of what type can or cannot be. (laughs) Oh boy, he's got them. (laughs) I'm ready. So exciting. You guys are on all podcast platforms, basically? Yes, I believe so. Wherever your podcast is sold. Yeah. Great. So the goal of this is to be like, wow, look at these two cool new people, whether that's us at the league or whether that's Kyle and Joshua at a tarot gang, or maybe you were extra cool and you, all of us, and you're just totally yeah. having yeah. an amazing time. But definitely look up the tarot gang podcast on your podcast platforms or weekly typographic. And I don't think this will be the end of this little crossover. Yeah, that's right. You're in the gang now. Oh, we'll be back. <laughs> I'm making an ampersand with my hands. Oh, I love, I love Micah's attempt, you can't see it attempt at an ampersand. Oh, so good. It looks it. great, guys. It's an audio podcast. I you guys it. can't see it, but it looks great. Straight out of Rascal Owner 1. <laughs> Thanks to everybody for hanging out with us and listening to us Thank you uh, guys. talk about nerdy type shit. And Yeah, thanks for having us. This is so fun. 
I'll do it again soon. All right, Don't everybody, ready? Three, two, one. Do 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 do